This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 229 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, revisiting great guests from 2012. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Equestrian Collections, Fleece Works, and Stable Comfort by Promat. You can find links to all of them at StableScoop.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, where weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Well, Happy New Year, everybody. This is Glenn the Geek, and you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Helena and I are off this week for the holidays. We'll be back again next week to kick off 2013. This week, we thought we'd bring you some of our favorite guests of 2012. So let's get started with one of Helena's favorites. In episode 186 this year, we had the opportunity to speak with Karen Chatton. She's a champion endurance rider and just a fun person and a terrific guest. Let's take a listen right after this message from Equestrian Collections. Hi, Glenn here with uh, Horse Radio Network, and I'm here with Debbie from Equestrian Collections. What are we talking about today, Debbie? Hi, Glenn. Today we're going to be talking about our Equestrian Collections Facebook page. I hope all of your listeners know that we have a big presence on Facebook. You can find us by just putting Equestrian Collections in your search box. We have a lot of things going on there. We have contests on there. We have um, uh, announcements of things that are happening in the horse world. If somebody, if we find something that we find, think our customers will be interested in, we'll post that. You ha- can interactively speak with us on Facebook. Um, you can interactively speak with each other on Facebook. You can talk about products. You can talk about your horse. You can enter contests. It's a very vital part of our company, and we're on there every day. So we look forward to hearing people talk to us on our Facebook page. Very good, and I know we post our shows on there. You can actually listen to to uh, some of the Horse Radio Network shows on the Equestrian Collections Facebook page as well, and we appreciate that. You can find it by going searching for Equestrian Collections on Facebook. All right, let's get on with our guest. Who's coming up? We have um, Karen, and now I've... I don't know how to pronounce her last name very well, but I'm going to say it. Karen Shatton. And she is a totally rad endurance rider. And she's going to talk to us all about endurance riding. She has a really cool blog called EnduranceRideStuff.com. She, I, I've never seen a collection of information as thorough and relevant um, about endurance riding. I, mean, she's, I call her the Jennifer of endurance discipline because she just... She's just such a wonderful um, uh, person, point person, to collect and then reshare this information about endurance. If you are 
uh, a newbie rider or you're a pro. She's been in Endurance News Magazine. Um, this woman knows her stuff. So we're going to have Karen on to talk to us about what it's like to be an endurance rider and those really cool Arabs and those really cool boots and all the gear and the places they go. So uh, we're going to say a big fat welcome to Karen. Thank you for coming on Stable Scoop today, Karen. I'm really happy you're here. Um, you are, well, actually, you're not technically here. You're, you're someplace beautiful right now. Where are you? Um, I'm in northern Nevada. I'm really close to Lake Tahoe. I'm in a town called Gardnerville. And is it, what, what's the weather like there these days? Is it cold and snowy? Or well, actually, yes. This morning it was 14, degree, 14 degrees. Yesterday afternoon it was like 20 degrees and snowing, which was a quite an abrupt change because I just came home from a ride in Southern California where it was in the 80s. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I know 14 degree days. It's, you know, I'm in New England, so I, I'm no stranger oh, to that. Okay. Okay. Um, that's quite, quite the temperature shock. Uh, mm-hmm. I know nothing. Glenn has a little more experience talking to endurance riders. I know nothing about it, but I think it's one of those really cool things. To me, endurance horses are like superheroes. You might as well put capes on them. Um, uh-huh. But it's this, it's this great enigma to me. So tell us a little bit about... Um, the kind of endurance riding that you do and how you got started in it? Um, Well, I got started mainly because I went on a camping trip with some friends to Roby Park, which is the base camp for the start of Tevis now. And I sat around camp at a campfire and listened to all these great stories from all these endurance riders. And from that moment forward, I wanted to do the Tevis. And it took me about three or four years to reach that goal to finally be able to complete the Tevis. But in the meantime, I totally got hooked on the sport. I totally, you know, started going to rides all over in different states. And I got really hooked on it because it's so much fun. The people are a lot of fun. And I really just enjoy riding my horse and getting to see all this great country. I've made a lot of friends. And it's just um, it's just a whole lot of fun. So what... Then, again, me being the ignorant newbie here, okay. what, is, what is Tevis? The Tevis Cut is it's also called the Western States Trail, and it's, I believe, getting close to its 60th year. You can correct me later. I'm not exactly sure, but um, it's a 100-mile point-to-point endurance ride that starts in Truckee, California, and goes to Auburn, California, and it's kind of known as the big daddy of all endurance riders. Most of the riders I know um, want to do it or want to aspire to do it if they haven't already. It's um, one of those big goals that we all kind of want to be able to accomplish at least once. And what makes it so big? Is it the distance or is it the challenge of the terrain or both? It's, it's, it's the challenge, the distance and the challenge and just, um, you know, kind of just the accomplishment of being able to succeed and do something that is so difficult. Only about 50% of the starting field finishes the ride. Oh. Now, let me tell you, she's understating this, Helena. This is a very, I would not walk this ride. <laughs> you don't walk to the bathroom the, from the TV. You're but. at the side of cliffs. I mean, when you take a look, if you go to teviscup.org and you take a look at some of the pictures that, of the, where the riders are in this thing, we're talking the sides of mountains and rocky, craggy, you know, stuff that, Nobody could walk, let alone a horse and a rider. This is the this is the Mac Daddy of of uh, endurance and, rides. And, there's more, and there is more than forty thousand feet of total elevation gain and loss. Okay. 
So, so it's quite quite a challenge. So not only does your horse have to be in shape, you have to be in shape for this baby. You sure do. You sure do. It helps long, a lot to be in shape. How long does it take to, oh, my gosh, the photograph on the Tavis team. Wait. All right. Yeah. I No. <laughs> I got a real good picture last time I did it. Um, and I did it in 2010, I think it was on my horse bow. And we finished around three 30 in the morning. And I think we were 31st or 32nd out of about 180 horses that started. Wow. Good um, for you. Thank you. It was, I had one of the best rides ever. Um, and I've, I've completed it three times out of four starts. So I'm on a roll because I've made the last three in a row. Wow. Yeah, okay. So now I'm starting to get a little understanding of just how significant that, that challenge is. Take me to, um, let's talk about the horses. So um, it, it, clearly it looks like Arabs are the preferred breed. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're predominantly, um, you know, a high percentage of the horses in the sport are Arabs or part Arabs. But people do well on all sorts of breeds. They do well on, you know, quarter horses and Appaloosas and gated horses. There's quite a few different breeds that participate that also do well. And what about their... here on an Arab. They're a little more suited for it right off the bat. Oh, I'll tell you, owning a a half Arab, uh, these things Uh can survive anything. I mean, you definitely see how (laughs) uh, genetically they are designed to... um, survive their environments and and no no matter what the environment there i've never seen such an adaptable mammal besides humans Uh Um, they excel at it and they and they love it you know it's great when you have a horse that loves his job it's just it's the best feeling in the world so how do you what's their state of mind during um one of your endurance rides are they like let's go 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 or is it all business Um, is it fun to them Oh, yes, it's fun. They love to go. The fitter they get, the more they want to go. So I have to really concentrate and um, put a lot of effort into rating them so that they don't go too fast and, you know, get overtired or strain something and become injured. So I put a lot of effort into trying to ride as consistently as I can. And when I'm doing, like, say, 100, I tend to ride, like, from one bet check to the next. And I'm always thinking in my mind, I have 24 hours to complete the 100 so that it, no matter how tired I get, I think, you know what? In 24 hours from now, I'm going to be in bed asleep and it's going to be over so I can get through this. Right, um, right. If I'm, if I'm doing a multi-day ride where we do day after day after day, then I just, I think, okay, great. I'm, you know, however far through the ride and then I'm going to get to rest and then I get to do it all over again the next day. So I always try to keep a positive attitude and I'm always looking forward to getting to ride again. And that, that kind of is what keeps me going. Um, you know, it's nice to try to stay as positive as I can and to appreciate that I'm able to do this and that I'm fortunate enough to have horses that, that can and that I'm just able to be there and enjoy it because, you know, a lot of people can't or, um, you know, it's just too difficult for them to be able to either afford the horses or the time off work to go and, and do this. But um, once you're out there, I mean, all your troubles melt away and hmm. you just have a good time. I got to tell you, you said uh, about moderating the, you know, at the beginning of the race, 
I was uh-huh. I, I've seen uh, a couple of endurance races, and the most recent one that I saw was the World Equestrian Games here in Lexington, Kentucky. And there was no moderation at the beginning of that race. Everybody took off like it was a 100-yard dash. They were out of there. It is. And and, and the endurance at the FEI levels, racing, those horses are turning out hundreds in six and seven hours. I'm doing a 50 in eight or nine hours. Okay. So it's a little bit different. They are racing, and those horses are trained and prepared to go that fast all day long from the start to the end. My horses, I, I tend to have goals that are more geared towards longevity, and <laughs> therefore I'm more interested in keeping my horses um, and minimizing the wear and tear on them and just keeping them healthy and sound for a long period of time. Um, well, Helena, my, can, my I ask the, can I ask the question that everybody wants to know? And we're, we're all horse people uh-huh. here, so we, we can ask okay. this question without getting in trouble. Um, Okay, so you're in the saddle for, for you know, from morning, and, and in the Tevis case, you might be in the saddle till 3 a.m. So you're uh-huh. you're in the saddle for a very long time. Okay, you know, uh-huh. we, oh, those of us that ride an hour or two every once in a while, we got blisters. How do you oh, control uh-huh. the blisters on your body, including your butt? I mean... Well, you get blisters on your butt? If you sit in the saddle that long, I'm going to have blisters on my butt. You are such a wimp. Well, <laughs> I could probably help you with that. I, I just passed riding the 31,000 miles last weekend. And, oh, I, and I've never had a blister on my butt anyways. Um, thank you. But that's where endurance tack and riding gear can be really helpful for any horse rider because it's geared towards being able to stay in the saddle for, you know, 24 hours at a time or for a week at a time without becoming sore um, for the rider and for the horse. So there's a lot of great gear and tack out there. People are interested to look towards the endurance riding um, tack and clothing and gear and all that kind of stuff. It can really help alleviate the discomfort. Well, you know, and I'm part, part of the way I found you was, um, well, the way I found you was through your blog and um, uh-huh. endurance endurance ride stuff dot com, uh, and I noticed um, you had actually featured uh, these trailer ties, these really cool like arms, these metal arms that come out off uh-huh. your trailers, and I, and I thought, oh my god, that is just absolute brilliance. Um, and then, uh-huh. of course, I started reading through your blog, and I noticed. Um, the gear is very, it's a very prominent part of the photographs that feature you riding. And I, uh-huh. I think understanding just how far and how physically significant endurance riding is, that the gear is just so, so very important. Um, let's start with the boots. Does everybody okay. use boots? And if so, why? Now, are you talking host boots for the whole I am. Race? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I use Renegade Hoof boots on my horses. I prefer the strap-on boots just because they're easy to put on and off. And my horses um, do really well in them. The horse I just rode 100 miles last weekend um, wore them on the ride, and they work really great. I don't have any rubbing or chafing problems. And they stay on pretty well, and you have an occasional one that might turn or something like that. But for the most part, they do stay on really well. Um, it takes a little bit of trial and error to learn how to fit the boots and how to choose the one that's going to fit and work the best for your horse. Right. Um, I've ridden uh, my horse, Granite Chief. He's passed 12,000 miles now, and he's done um, roughly 10,000 of that using boots. And, and I like using boots because it allows me to keep my horses barefoot the rest of the time. Right, right. 
I, I do. I do too. I mean, I want, I want to see boots in the hunter jumper world. <laughs> I know Glenn uh-huh. laughs, but nobody's, but I think, um, so it's really not just because the terrain is so hard on their feet, but it's, it's a compromise in terms of protecting them during competition and the terrain and not having to put metal shoes on them. It is. It's nice okay. not having to use the metal shoes anymore and also to give them protection. And I think the boots actually protect their feet overall better than a metal shoe does because mm-hmm. it protects the entire bottom of the foot and um, also the heel bulb area. And, um, you know, when they work for you, then that's great. I've had friends that have been boot challenged and have gone back to shoeing because they weren't able to work out whatever issues they might have been having. But, um, but then you're seeing a growing number of endurance riders in general that are going to using the boots and maintaining the horses perfect the rest of the time. And it's working really well. And the boots themselves are they or the boot manufacturers and the, the resulting boots are evolving as they become a more popular, uh, shoeing right. option for, for folks. Yeah. I see that. Yes, they're getting better and better all the time. And, um, and yeah, when you asked about boots, I had to make a comment here. Um, Years ago, when I first started my horse, Chief, every so often he'd interfere on a hind ankle, just very rarely. So I started to wear an ankle boot on that one ankle. And so now for the last years and years and years, every time I'm riding down the trail and someone doesn't know me yet, they'll come up and they'll say, hey, you're missing a boot. And then I have to look and see if my hook boots are all there. So now it's kind of an ongoing joke with me when someone asks me or says something about a boot, I have to say, well, which ones are you talking about? The one on his ankle? And so now he really, I don't think he interferes anymore, but it's like Michael Jackson with the single glove thing. I keep using that one ankle boot on Chief, mainly for good luck, and it has actually worked quite well because he's been a very successful horse for me. Well, I, I so. can see it in that photo of uh, Endurance News. I, I said, "Is she missing a boot? <laughs> the ankle boot on it's his. Is it? Yeah. It's his right hind. You said." And that's on purpose, and I've actually had riders uh, argue with me when, when I said, no, I'm really not missing a boot. It's intentional, you know, and it's like, yeah. I was just trying to help you out, and I'm like, well, thank you, but um, it's really on purpose, just the one boot, so. Well, the other thing I saw, I noticed about um, gear and equipment, I couldn't really tell from the photo, photos I was looking at, but it looks like some number of horses um are bitless that there's some, uh, you know, uh-huh. your bridles are different. Um, you know, can you go a hundred miles with a bit in the horse's mouth? Are there more comfortable options? What's that like for you the, can, you know, if you're doing multi days and stuff, it's nice to be able to change what you're riding your horse in so that they don't, um, get chafing or rubs or sores just from having the same, whether it's a bit or even a hack more on their nose in the same spot for that many hours. Um, and I have changed back and forth on my horses often. Mine are currently both in bits because they're so strong and I don't like to have to pull on them. And right. I can rate them a lot easier with the bit. With a hackmore, it depends on their mood and the ride and the situation. They both can and have done well in a hackmore. Um, but then there's times where um, they're just too competitive and they just want to run their nose right through it. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and so I know some people are, are have adverse reactions to bits, but, um, it, it's also dangerous to have a horse that you can't control. And if you can't rate him very well, he's going to make himself sore, pulling and fussing. And, 
Um, you'll see a lot of the ride photos where the horses might be ridden in a halter or a hackmore, and their heads are up and their backs are all hollowed out. And, you know, that's not good for the horse either. So you kind of have to find a compromise that works for your individual horse. Yeah, that sounds fair and, and okay. logical. <laughs> fair and logical. Mm-hmm. Two words you don't always hear in the horse world. <laughs> uh-huh. Um. And that's what's great about endurance riding is we we do have the freedom to choose and do what works best for each of us in our own situations, which is one of the reasons why I like it so much. Yeah, the rules don't necessarily dictate what kind of hardware, what kind of equipment that you use. Uh Yeah, that's interesting. Helena, I'm looking at the pictures here on that uh, website you, you had me go to. And I'm seeing pictures from all different kinds of rides, and I'm looking at the one in Death Valley. And by the way, Karen, in case you didn't know, uh-huh. Death Valley was given that name for a reason. Um, <laughs> and I think it was that you're not supposed to ride 100 miles through it. But my question for you is, where is where uh-huh. where would you say is the most exotic place that you rode that you went, this is just breathtaking, I can't believe I'm here? Oh, my gosh. Well, that is a, that would be a really tough question because I've, seen so much great country you know i love the desert in the winter when there's a storm the lighting um the clouds i mean i i really i'm one of those people that really appreciate that but i also love you know some of the the trails in utah where we're up at high elevation in the high country and there's snow on the peaks and uh, creeks running and birds chirping and i mean that's just also gorgeous too um so gosh, I'd have a really hard time. Bryce Canyon is is one of my favorite rides because of all the orange and pink colored cliffs and hoodoos. Um, Grand Canyon is also a favorite because we ride there usually during the fall colors and it's so just colorful and gorgeous. Um, my gosh, Tevis is also a really great, you know, you're in the, the Sierras and those views are also breathtaking. Um, um, Gosh, it's it's tough to just narrow it down to one or even five or ten. Just um, well, I appreciate do, all of it. Do so. you have a chance to enjoy it, or are you so into the the moment and the ride and the race that you 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 find yourself not looking around and you get done and you go, I just didn't see any of that. Oh no, I quite take the time to enjoy the view, and I got you'll see on my blog plenty of photos that I take showing the, the scenery and stuff. Um, I definitely take it all in. I'm, you know, like I said, I'm more geared towards the longevity of my horses than trying to race. Um, you know, um, to me, it's, you know, to finish is to win and to have a horse that lasts for a period of years is more important than saying, you know, I won or whatever. Right. Do you, will that actually, of course, um, I'm, my brain is like a hundred steps ahead of this whole conversation. When you were, when, um, when you start out, what's the average length of a moderately competitive endurance ride? Is it 50, you know, is it 25 miles? Is it a hundred miles? Well, some people start out doing the 25, especially if they haven't spent a lot of time previously around horses. Um, you know, years ago, I have friends that started out, and Tevis was their first endurance ride. Um, okay. So it's just all very individual. Any, both of the horses I'm riding now were both started out on multi-day rides, um, uh, 50 miles each day. So and, if um, then, then let's just say, okay, let's let's take 50 miles for an example. Then during okay. that 50 miles, um, 
at what point, you know, I know one, like you said, one of the challenges is how do I rate my horse? I have got a horse who's just go, go, go. And part of what you have to do is, okay. is rate them. Uh, is there a point within the ride um, that they've sort of gotten all that energy out and then they, they're now things have died down to a dull roar or a nice rolling pace. And then you can sort of enjoy the ride uh-huh. and then does Definitely, it wind down yeah. towards the end where they're like, Whoa, I'm tired. Can we just walk well, across the finish line? Yeah. You know, it, it just, it depends on the horse. Um, you know, if the horse has done the ride before, he's going to know where camp is. So he's going to be a little more enthusiastic about coming into the finish, especially if he's fit. If he has no idea where the finish is, he may just sort of be going, wow, when is this going to end? But it's all very individualistic. And and that's why I, I some of my favorite rides have been the point-to-point rides, where we ride from point A to point B. And Tevis is like that. You ride from point A to point B. And that's great for the horses, for their mind, because it teaches them um, you know, to just go and not to be worrying about when are we going to turn around and head back to camp. Right. Right. And then that kind of adds to the sense of adventure. Well, okay. Now, my next question, because I have 100 million of them. Uh-huh. Now, the more okay. you talk, the more I want to <laughs> do endurance. Okay. Um, do you, what do you do? You're talking about fitness level. So the more fit horses, um, that their fitness level is going to change the way they ride uh, a trail. So on the days where they're not riding or they're not competing, let's say, how do you manage a horse who's that fit, either on the ground or when you're just going for a leisurely recreational ride? Or is there such a thing in your world? Yes, and that also, too, varies depending on the number of competitions you attend. Somebody like me, I attend a lot lot more than the average endurance rider. So my horses tend to, I try to give them as much of a break in between rides as I can. I like for each horse to be ridden at least two times the week before an endurance ride that's coming up. And this last year, my horses had, I think, probably one of the best years they've ever had. The two of them completed 3,600 miles between both of them. And so I gave them breaks in between. And when I went back to riding them, they were just the most obnoxious, (laughs) maniacal (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh, they were horrible. I thought, oh, I, you know, I shouldn't have let them have so much time off. But now they're they've gotten back into the uh, work ethic mode, and now they're behaving much better. But um, when they're really fit, and you give them a break, you do have to be really careful bringing them back because they're going to be really, really strong and obnoxious. So that's just something to watch for. Ah, that goes away after fifty miles. <laughs> Um, so, so it now, does <laughs> what, now if my wife's looking at getting in, uh, to endurance, how do you start? What, you know, and I know that sounds like a dumb question, but for people that have been doing fox hunting and been doing, you know, uh-huh. eventing and things, you, you, they usually go to a trainer or, or some, you know, a coach uh-huh. of some sort to get started and what you do first. So I guess the question is, what do you do first if you if you're brand new? You've been doing other horse sports, and now you want to you want to try endurance. What's the first step? Well, I think the first thing might be to to start to read and learn about endurance, and the internet's a great resource for that. Um, the American Endurance Ride Conference um, website it's uh, aerc dot org, and they have um, pages for newbie riders and people that are interested in learning more about endurance. Um, there's also Endurance Net and any other number of um, 
endurance riders that are blogging like myself about the sport that um, that they can go and learn about, um, pick up a couple of books. There's some good books out there on the topic. And then just start to, you know, assimilate it all together. And then um, AARC also has a mentor program where they can find out, you know, first look up what region they're in and then contact um, an, an existing endurance rider that can perhaps give them some advice and maybe even take them out on a training ride. That would be the probably, I, I love that idea yeah. because uh-huh. then you get to see whether you actually uh-huh. want to do this or if it's just nuts. Right. And yeah. then you get to see all of the gear in person and ask questions about it and see how it actually works. And um, yeah. I love that. I, I think that's a great idea. So give the address and, again. Uh, go ahead, Helena. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say um, start with Karen's blog. Her website is, a, I mean, that's what really impressed me is she has so much information there and a really great list of links on all of these resources from the the newbie rider to uh, gear and hardware and equipment. I, I don't know. All I'm seeing mm-hmm. on her blog is pictures of food. So uh, On her blog? I pictures see ice of food? cream here on the homepage. And then... <laughs> and then uh, uh, there's, there's pictures Honest on our Facebook goodness. page of all the food they cook for these people. That's obviously important when you've been on the trail for a long time. We, we, we were really bad at the ride last week. We went over to Costco and bought crab, crab legs and ribeye steaks, and we had, like, the best dinner ever. <laughs> it was great. My husband's like, geez, you don't even eat this good when you're home. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, and we have to wrap here shortly. Uh, Rachel, uh, is it Rosenthal? Is is that who I'm thinking of here? Um, um, Rachel Shackelford. Shackelford, yes. Uh, uh-huh. There's another Rachel Rosenthal, but Rachel, she, we have had her on our morning show a couple of times, and she came in second to us last year as what a 17 or 18 uh-huh. year old uh, youngster, and. Y- you just can be any age to do this, and one of the m- most well-known endurance riders is in her seventies. So, uh, so you can't. So talk about longevity. Yeah, if you if you approach things right, yeah. and it sounds that's what you carry. It just sounds like you have that nice middle of the road approach to. I love to do this, mm-hmm. and I want to do it for a really long time, and I want my horses to do it for a really long time. So, um, well, you spend so much effort putting and time into training your horse and conditioning it, and it. The experience these horses get, it's priceless. They can do anything. I can ride my horses in traffic. I can ride them past llamas and barking dogs and people shooting guns. I can cross water. And so they get all this experience. And and so I want to keep being able to ride that horse. I don't want to have to start all over again and teach another horse how to deal with all of that. And and that's why I really appreciate my experienced horses so much. Not they to mention the rattlesnakes, anything. the bears, and the mountain lions. We didn't mention those. And exactly. And actually, <laughs> I've had several snake encounters last summer. I rode the Pony Express ride um, from St. Joseph, Missouri, all the way back. Oh, to yeah. The, we did a show on that. Yeah, yeah. We did a show on that. Yeah, I rode, I rode 2,040 miles on these two horses. And I think in the first two or three weeks, I think I had something like 17 snake sightings. Yeah. So I've had plenty of encounters with wildlife. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I I think, um, well, we're going to post links to your website and um, as well as some of the other endurance sites because, like I said, you do have a lot of information. And um, you uh, you also have a Facebook page, right? Yes, I do. 
Okay, so so we're going to put, um, you can find Karen on Facebook. We'll put links to her website, uh, Karen's Musings and Endurance Ride Stuff. If you're at all interested, I know I'm really interested in it. Um, it might be something I can do with Pi, Glenn, and then I wouldn't yeah. have to sell him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I have a, my Arab Saddlebred is, uh, the, he has no shortage of energy and just plenty of power and is a really good thinker. This might be a lot of fun for him. So anyway, we will post lots of information at stablescoop.com and people can find you. And uh, maybe we'll have to have you back and you can give us another endurance update sometime. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. So now one of my favorite guests of the year, and I've had so many, this was really tough to pick one, but this was from episode number 200. I really liked our chat with mounted archer Katie Stearns. She has traveled the world as a fascinating, albeit deadly woman, and uh, we'll hear from Katie in just a minute right after this word from Fleeceworks. Fleeceworks manufactures pure Australian merino sheepskin and merino wool saddle pads and accessories. Their pads produce a vital thermal balancing layer to pull excess moisture and heat away from the horse's back, allowing muscles to work at maximum capacity without overheating. Fleeceworks Australian Merino Wool is breathable and hydrophilic, able to hold and store 35% of its own weight in liquid. A longtime staple of the medical field, Australian Merino fibers have no equal when it comes to delivering a temperature-controlled, pressure-absorbing layer. The Fleeceworks philosophy, minimum bulk, maximum performance. And they have a variety of anatomically correct pads incorporating technologies and designs that address the individual needs of every horse and rider. Ask for Fleeceworks saddle pads and accessories by name at your local tack and feed store. Or visit them online at fleeceworks.com. Hey folks, Coach Jen here from the Horse Tip Daily Show. All of us as horsemen mull over our horse's nutrition and stress out over their stress level and fret about their fitness. But when is the last time you puzzled over your horse's lounging and sleeping comfort? Research has shown us over and over that quantity as well as quality of rest and sleep are crucial for top athletic performance as well as overall well-being. Enter Stable Comfort by Promat. Stable Comfort mimics the characteristics of natural pasture, providing a safe, clean, and comfortable surface for your horse. Its wall-to-wall, waterproof design gives your horse confidence to walk, lie down, and get back up without fear of slipping. And as a bonus, less bedding is required and results in fewer labor hours to clean stalls. Head on over to StableComfort.com and find out why champions like Nick Skelton, Mary King, and Chris Cox Use Stable Comfort by Promat Systems for their equine athletes. You know, I think our next guest is uh, equally passionate about this, and uh, I think she's kind of cool. In fact, I think the Flying Duchess might be the next hottest Halloween costume for equestrians. (laughs) There you go. There you go. You know how a lot of these barns have they have their Halloween parades or yeah. their Halloween hunter pace? I think for the hunter pace this year, I want to be the flying duchess. That's a good idea. And you have to listen because we're gonna talk to her in a second. You're gonna find out what she's all about, and we're gonna put some links to photos at stablescoop.com so you can see what a flying duchess looks like. But let's take a listen. Well, hi Katie. Hi. I'm so glad you could join us today. You know, I, one of the things we didn't mention in the introduction 
uh, in your introduction was that you're a graduate of the University of Oregon with a major in anthropology. I am. Well, you know, it's interesting your, your major sort of, you know, in a way kind of relates to, to all of what you have done. Tell us how you got interested. Were you interested in horses first or archery first? Uh, definitely horses. Okay, so you've been horses yep. since you were a little kid? Yep, since I was about two was when I first got on my first horse. And were you, were you, what were you into then? Were you English, Western, were you showing? Um, I actually started with uh, jumping, with hunter, jumper, and jumper. And how did um, that graduate from taking the jumps away and, and putting uh, targets in the way? <laughs> well, She's actually, probably then, shooting for her trainers. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I love Yeah, yeah. Tell me to post. That's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> That's good. Select That's the line this. of the day, Alina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wrong diagonal, whatever. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, uh, see, no. that said, she couldn't follow instruction. Here, there's nobody that does it, so she could just uh, make her own way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, one does, no one does man at archery. <laughs> just make it up. No, I um, actually then got a rescue horse, and, you know, it was either you can have lessons pretty much or uh, you can get your own horse. So um, I actually got my horse because my mother had recently married and my stepfather was trying to gain favor with the children. And so I got a pony. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But, um, yeah, and then I was also at the time doing Bellegarth Medieval Combat Society, and we actually shoot people. Um, I was doing that in high school. What? And, yeah, but with one of arrows. Yeah, what you, yeah, that's what yeah. <laughs> Blunted arrows? Yep, yep. They I like this girl. Candidate. I like this world. What, tell me <laughs> yeah. more. Oh, I, I live in my own little reality. Oh, my God. But, yeah, there's, um, they're, they're blunted and you shoot people, but I got a bow, and it was called a horse bow. Um, and it came with a book written by Kasai Lyos on horseback archery. And I just, so, just got lucky, and the only person that was currently practicing, really, on this side of the Mississippi, I live in Oregon, I uh, live 15 minutes north of me. Huh. Well, I used to own an acting company. We did medieval feasts, and the only thing they would shoot at us is uh, rotten food and things like that. So <laughs> um, we, didn't, we didn't get shot at with arrows or beaten with sticks. Now, so you, you pretty much didn't have an instructor, did you? Cause he... I did. Oh, did you? Okay. Um, well, I started with Holm Newman, um, and then he was having Lucas Novotny come out for a clinic, and that was in 05. And, and I so assume I Lucas, just, help us out here. I assume Lucas is somebody important in the in the archery. Oh world? yes. Okay. Oh yes. No, he's a he's an internationally renowned uh, boyer and horseback archer. He owns Saluki Bow Company, and uh, makes two in, in what I think the best bows in the world. Did you say he was a voyeur or a? Yeah, boyer. A it's boyer. A, a okay, good. That's bows. completely different than a voyeur. I was. Uh, than a voyeur. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> oh, a, a, so a boyer is a person who makes bows. So these bows. Yeah. So everything. The this equipment is designed specifically for mounted work. Um, yeah, pretty much. You know, okay. he he also makes pretty you know bows for hunting and things. But I think his emphasis is on, his emphasis is on the horseback archery bows. So now, when you're when you're engaged. Because I, I can't think of another way to describe this. You're riding, you're aiming, you're shooting. Um, we know what thrills us when we ride our horses in the different disciplines. Some, for some of us, like for dressage, it's the training and then oh, achieving yeah. that perfection. What is it that, what's the sweet spot for you in mounted archery? 
there is this perfect moment. And, you know, and all the other horseback archers out there will know what I'm talking about. And that's when you are riding your horse and you're going down the course. And typically, you know, if you're like me or some other people, well, we ride pretty fast. And when there's this moment when the horse is at the peak of its movement, when all four feet are off the ground, and that's ideally when you release your arrow. And when you get that, when you are when you're up and you have that release and you make that awesome shot, there's nothing better. I didn't think about timing it to the footfalls because obviously you're bouncing up and down a little bit, no matter how hard you try. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I do tend to stay in a, in kind of a two point position personally. Some people sit down, but uh, I think because I was started out as a jumper, I naturally, when I'm on a fast horse, I get up in two point Mm -hmm. and I think it's much more stable. And women tend to do that anyway, too, because our center of gravity is a little bit different. I, yeah. I don't know. I do the same thing the faster I go. I find my center of gravity is more stable if I'm in two point. And yeah. so yeah. Um, now, how do your horses, uh, do you buy horses who are accustomed to this type of sport? Do you train them? Is there anything special oh. that they need to learn? I can't imagine that it would be too crazy how to steer without reins <laughs> yeah 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 it's i guess really, so yeah that's, that's the biggest part you know a horse that that you can trust to put their head down and go without holding on to their face but really i think any horse can do it i mean i've done it off of everything from icelandic ponies to shire thoroughbreds to arabians to mongolaga machadors it really um what was really, that really hold varies. on what would you just say? <laughs> We're going to make Bless him go you, back and say it. Um, We're going to make you say it like nine times. <laughs> what was that again? Oh, no. No, because then people are going to probably be saying it wrong because I know I don't pronounce it entirely right. All right, give it to us again. Give it a try. Okay, Mangalarga Marchador. And it's spelt just as it sounds. Mangalarga Marchador. And is it? I assume it's a breed of horse? It, it is. It's a, it's a gated horse from Brazil. Uh, we use them often, often. Many people I know use them for horseback archery because they're incredibly smooth. But they come in two different gates. So they have the picada, which is a four-beaded lateral gate, similar to like a pasifino, um, but with less of the suspensory problems, and they don't flip out their feet like the uh, Peruvian passes. Okay. And then the batita is a four-beaded diagonal gate, very similar to a fox trotter. Okay, makes sense. That makes sense that you would that they would use those too because of the smoothness right. of them. Do yeah. they have the speed though of the other breed of the Arab or? The, no, no, yeah. definitely not as fast as the Arabs. But their but their canters are very flat and very smooth, so I think it's very easy for people to shoot off of. Yeah. So now you yeah. had an Arab in the, in some of the pictures we saw. Oh yeah, I I use Arabs mostly. And the reason? They're 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 my breed of choice. They're very intelligent. They're very sensitive. They're quick on their feet. They're typically, I find all of mine to be very, very um, willing to listen to leg cues instead of the mouth. Now, are you steering with your legs or does the horses oh, yeah. just know the course? Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, you have to. Otherwise, typically a lot of horses will veer to the outside of the course. <laughs> okay, yeah, makes sense. And so you really got to keep <laughs> that kind of outside leg on them to, if you want to, you know, get as close to the targets as possible. And now you have traveled all over the world. Tell us about, and in, in, according to what I read and according to what Trey said, do you go to Korea every year to compete? I used to, yeah. This year I did not 
Um, I actually lived in, in South Korea last year for about five months, and now I'm giving myself a year off from competing to um, settle in my own place. So you, you've gone to Korea that many times. You've lived in Korea. You really do. I mean, this is, this yeah, is your passion. It's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And t- so tell us about Korea. What was it like there? Um, fascinating. You know, well, for me as an anthropology student, of course, anytime I travel, I just love it. But um, the competitions were always great, uh, very well put together. It was run by the World Horseback Archery Federation. Uh, they were in Sokcho, South Korea, and I think now they're starting to relocate to a new facility. But uh, we had people come from all over the world to these international competitions, from Germany, Poland, from um, Iran, from the U.K., from Mongolia. It's, it's, it's really a, an international event. Now, do you, what about Americans? Do, are they oh, yeah. as, as how, how uh, far-reaching is it here in the, in the States, and is it growing? Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's growing very, very well, I think, on kind of a smaller local level. So there's a lot of people that do it for recreation and for fun. Um, there's not a very large group of people from the U.S. that travel internationally, not like um, some of the other countries that get much larger groups participating on the international level. But that's, ever- that's mostly choice. Okay. And, well, and, and a certain amount of practicality. I mean, you got oceans yeah. to cross sometimes it's a yeah. little easier for but do you find that is is korea like the mecca um I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say that i would actually say that um you know as, as much as we talk about korea and as much as we they have those larger events um i would say kind of in europe itself obviously hungary is where it originally started into this modern martial art um by kasaylios but there's, I think, a much larger group in some of the areas of Germany and Poland and in that um, in the general Europe. Do you do so you talk about martial arts? Do you do any other martial art? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, as many as possible. Okay. <laughs> All right, remind me not to piss her off when we're we meet her in person. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you that know, was it, one of the reasons I went to Korea. It's not such a stretch. It is. Um, it's a physical. You can see it. I mean, sometimes people uh, equate riding with dancing and any t- any sort of physical yeah. artistry um, is, you know, it just so- it seems like horses are a perfect fit because we do connect our bodies to them. So we become an extension of each other. And yeah. then just to, to take whatever it is that you're passionate about, whether it's archery or, um, you know, training or mounted shooting, it's... Uh, you spend your days and your nights and your mornings, um, I guess, combining the passion with the physicality of the relationship with your horse. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think also a lot of people try to put, you know, their, their horse people, and they try to put their horses in, in, mes- in many aspects of their life as they can. Right, right. I mean, it, it is. It's just like an extent. It's an, they're like an appendage. A very yeah. hungry appendage. <laughs> yeah, a very expensive appendage. <laughs> I'm just, just going to say, I'm just going to say, if you had stuck with the hunter jumpers, your chances of winning more money were probably greater. Uh, yeah, she'd yeah. be miserable and still shoot at her trainers, <laughs> <laughs> which could be kind of fun, actually. And, yeah, and yeah. so, what else can you? Um, where can you go with this? I mean, if you're, if I'm a teenage girl and I am enamored with this sport. 
how do I get into it? Where can I go with it? Where can it, obviously it can take you spiritually places and recreationally can take places. But what about practically if someone really wants to do this all the time, where do they go? How do they get started? You know, yeah, as far as in the U.S., I mean, the best way to get started is to find someone who practices and who teaches and gives clinics and attend a clinic by them. Um, that's the best way to get started that I recommend other, you know, some people do kind of the start at home thing and that's where you end up with a lot of, um, you know, bad habits, just like with any horse, horse sport. Um, Mm -hmm. it's much better to have an instructor, I think in the beginning to help keep you from getting bad habits. But in, you know, in, in other countries, like I know in Iran, their horseback archery team is supported by their government. And so is the Jordanian horseback archery team. Hmm. Um, and some other countries in the U.S., we don't really have, you know, we don't have scholarships or any kind of really financial um, way way to go about it. I mean, it's um, pretty limited for us. How expensive is it to get started? It's your bow and your arrows. You know, let's yeah. take the horse out of the equation. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you can you can get a, a, a decent beginner's bow for two to four hundred dollars. Okay. That's and a- and arrows, you know, can range anywhere between sixty to one hundred and fifty a dozen, depending on how you know. See, that's be the expensive part for me. It'd be just like playing golf. I go through more golf yeah. balls, losing them in the oh, woods. Yeah. I mean, that would be the expensive part for me, right there. Yes. Yeah. And as a beginner, you lose arrows, you break arrows, your horse steps on arrows. It's terrible. <laughs> Depending on which end, that is really terrible. Um, Maybe I should start an arrow manufacturing company <laughs> or buy stock in one. I could see you out there riding on the beach right by your house there, Helena, shooting arrows at the uh, at the tourists. Be great. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll shoot anybody. <laughs> anybody who gets in my way. I like that. Well, you know, I remember uh, being a, a young girl, 10, 11, 12 years old at camp, and we had archery. That was, you know, one of the activities that you did, and I loved it. I loved, loved that satisfaction of the accuracy. I, I just loved the feeling of the power, of the flight, of the setup, you know, the anticipation. Am I going to get it this time? And to marry that type of um, strategy and, yeah. you know, the, the mental with the physical there, with riding, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, if I were 10 years old, I would definitely say this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And the fact that you can do it and I mean, and even make a career out of it, you can, if it's something that you do well, then you turn around and you teach others. And it's like, it's like being a missionary. You find something that's absolutely amazing in your life. And, but the other thing too, is this is a window into a, a broader study of life and culture. It's a, right. It's a fun and exciting way into anthropology, Definitely. It's culture and living history. It's, it's so yeah. much fun. Now history and, 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 but even now, like, because it's practiced in so many countries across the world, it, there are opportunities to, to experience other cultures through a shared passion. Yeah, yeah. And the, I did really the, the mix of cultures that's involved at especially the international competitions is amazing because everybody comes in their traditional costumes. And people like the Japanese come with their traditional um, Japanese yumi bows, you know, and everything is, there's so much pageantry and so many colors and cultures and languages, and everybody is so friendly. All right, but I happen to know from your, from the West Coast, so I want to know why you're dressed up like Robin Hood. Huh? <laughs> 
I'm looking Robin at the, Hood. I'm looking at the green shirt. Kind of reminds oh, me of yeah, Robin yeah, Hood. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's you know that's because especially around that when that picture was taken and still now, um, because I go to all these different medieval events. Okay. All and right. so I have a lot of tunics and and. I'm just picking on you. European clothing. <laughs> <laughs> now, one other question about the bows is: Did they ever do it? Uh, it I'm going to use the wrong term here, but it looks like you're using long bows as opposed to a compound bow or, or do you even, you know, are, do they ever use compound bows? No, not that I've ever noticed, but, um, so no crossbows either, huh? No. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't think so. Not that I've ever heard of. Okay. Um, but yeah, the term you're looking for is recurve. Everybody, almost everybody uses recurve. Yeah, that's right. See, I was going way back in history when they were long bows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and some people, I have seen people shoot longbow from horse. It's uh, the, Similar the, to the, the Japanese Yumi bows also are even longer than a lot of, long, of the longbows. And some of those longbows can get to like five, six feet long. Can you imagine riding a horse yeah. trying to shoot that bow? <laughs> no, I'd be it's, shooting my foot. <laughs> yeah, no, I have. It's like riding with a big sail in your hand. <laughs> Wow. So now uh, I'm going to throw Tammy under the bus here. Tammy is our host of the Western Radio Show, who's a world champion mounted shooter. And she has accidentally shot herself with the blanks in the hand. And uh, <laughs> she has one horse that's uh, kind of missing a little bit of an ear. So is that, is that, a, pro- is that a problem with the, uh, with, with the arrows? <laughs> Poor Tammy. I have, and now knock on wood, I have yet to shoot one of my horses. Okay, well, that's good. Um, right, knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> But have I you have, have you accidentally had poked them? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, can I poke them all that. the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I poke them in the yellow. I poke everybody. I yeah, yeah. kids, my horses. But but have you have what about your aim? I mean, what kind like okay, so here here's a question. Uh, you know, you're galloping away or cantering away and you're just about ready to release your arrow and your horse spooks at something. Does your horse spook at something? How do you not? It, it you does know? happen. Of course it happens. So she, what she's asking is, how do you not shoot your neighbor? <laughs> you, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I mean, you, you try to not shoot, obviously. And, and what I tell anybody is any situation to get into the habit, really, is if, if something terrible happens, you throw your bow as far away from you as possible. Oh, okay. okay. You just wing your bow instead of yep, you just drop I, yep, the whole thing. Yep. Rather than risking your horse getting impaled you or, you know. Right. Well, I guess like anything, you have your emergency uh, strategies, you know, right? Oh, yeah. And that's yeah, one definitely. of them. So you just chuck yep. the whole darn thing. Yep, just throw it. And the way- all thousand dollars of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately. I know. I've had horses roll over saddles before. Step yeah, on them, and, and break a saddle tree. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then Spe- you're out $1,500. Speaking and of which, it does look like you're using English saddles from this. Yeah, I, I prefer the English saddles. Okay. That's what it looks um, like. Or um, many of us also t- more traditionally use horses built for horseback archery, which are modeled after various Mongol and Chinese um, designs. Well, it's not even English um, saddles. Uh, you know, it is an English saddle, but you're actually using a dressage saddle from what I can tell in some of these. Um, most of them you'll see I'm in my jumping saddle. Okay, because I was looking at I pictures really from like Korea. Those, and, yeah, uh, with yeah, the knee rolls. Yeah. Yes, I'm a knee roll fan too. Yeah, so. me too. 
Well, this is great. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. I hope that uh, I hope we got everybody curious enough that they can check it out. Now, if you're on the West Coast, you actually do give lessons and, and you know, we'll get beginners started and uh, you have all kinds of packages for that. Where can people find you on the Internet that they can look you up? Yeah, definitely. Um, my website is probably the best way, and that is just mountedarcheryoneword.net. Um, that has all the basic information that I have, you know, on mounted archery and uh, my email and stuff, and I am set up here in Washington. So. Okay, and one of the things I will tell you about your website is you've got to put the contact information a little clearer. It took me a long time to find it. Oh, okay, okay, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been working on changing stuff around. When I was in Korea, everything got put on hold, so I've been slowly trying to fix that. I'll, I'll make that more obvious. Yeah, make that obvious so that people can find yeah. you to, uh, to come out and take lessons. How cool. Very good. Yeah. Well, thank great. you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed taking a look back at a couple of the guests that uh, Helena and I really enjoyed from this year. As I said, there were so many. And don't forget that you can listen to all the past episodes of the Stable Scoop Radio Show at stablescoop.com or at horseradionetwork.com. We have uh, a lot of them in the can, four years' worth now. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter when you listen to them. Most of them are not timely. Great guests are great guests. So, I enjoy that. We have uh, a lot of cool things planned also for 2013. More of, the, more of the same and some new fun prepared for this next year. We hope you enjoy that. Uh, and, uh, you know, Happy New Year, everybody. Be safe. Uh, ride safe. Wear your helmets. And we'll be back again next week with a new episode of the Stable Scoop Radio Show in 2013.